please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The church must respond to the world around us, must speak to the issues of our day. We must. But the question is, how? I think the church speaks best when it speaks in theological language. That is, after all, what we are uniquely equipped to do. On Epiphany, the church remembers the visit of the Magi foreigners to see the Christ child. The church has taken this to mean that God reaches out to the whole world, not the people of one community or nation or tribe. John Wesley echoed this sentiment when he said, the world is my parish. And the United Methodist Church today continues to speak to what it means to claim the world as our parish. One of the ways the United Methodist Church speaks to this is through our social principles, which are the United Methodist Church's official voice on a variety of social or political issues. Our social principles are divided into six major categories. The first is titled The Natural World, and that was my topic last week. If we have the text of the social principles here in front of us right now, I could show you that the part I've been working with this week is actually two sections of the social principles, one titled The Nurturing Community and one titled The Social Community. My best guess at the logic used to decide which issues go in which of those sections is that the nurturing community seems to deal with more personal issues, family and sexuality, reproduction, and the end of life. The section on social community deals with broader issues like civil rights and addiction, medical technology, and social structures. Today, you're also going to hear a bit of my biases about the social principles. And of course, I have no expectation that you agree with them. <laughs> when I first shaped this sermon series, I imagined preaching directly on the text of the social principles as my primary focus. And then I decided that the social principles were too dry and boring for that. So I decided instead to use scripture and the broad categories of the social principles to look more generally at how the church speaks to the issues of our day. I do believe the church has a moral obligation to deal with the issues of our world today. We can't follow Jesus if we retreat from reality. So we must speak to the issues of our day. But how? I don't agree with everything the United Methodist Social Principles say. I put money on the chance that none of you do either. Well, I would, except the social principles are very clear that gambling is not acceptable to United Methodists. <laughs> so I won't do that. But I think it's safe to say that probably no one here would agree with every single thing in the social principles. I think it's probably maybe only a very few United Methodists anywhere who find themselves agreeing with everything in the social principles. So my interest is not so much in getting into which stances I agree with or disagree with, but instead how the church speaks appropriately or inappropriately about social issues. 
I think the church speaks best when it speaks in theological language. That is what we do. So let me tell you something about how I think the United Methodist Church gets it right and how we sometimes get it wrong. First, our scripture this morning provides an excellent foundation for a theological perspective on social issues related to human community. Paul tells us that the body is one and has many members. The human community is one and has many members. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. Likewise, there are different kinds of people in our human community, different members in this body, and everyone belongs. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If all were a single member, where would the body be? We are meant to be different, to bring our different gifts and abilities into the body together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. We need each other. We need the differences that each other brings to this great human community. We need the different kinds of gifts and roles that we all play. We need each other. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. How is that for a statement from scripture? We can look sometimes at our society and see certain groups as weaker or see groups judged as less valuable. And we hear from scripture that no, they are indispensable. We cannot judge some as less worthy or as dispensable. Scripture also says that the desire for this oneness in the body is that there may be no dissension within the body, but instead that the members may have the same care for one another. We are called to care for one another. And finally, if one member suffers, all members suffer together with it. We cannot escape the ways we are connected, whether we like it or not, whether we want to be connected, not only to each other sitting here in this space, but to people out there, the people who may be the most different from us or the ones we are uncomfortable with. We cannot escape the ways we are connected, whether we are feet or hands or eyes, whether we are young or old or in between, whether we are Americans or Africans or Asians. We cannot escape the ways we are interdependent. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. Our social principles do well when they make theological statements in line with this understanding that we are all a part of one body, that the suffering of any member causes suffering to the body as a whole, that we are united as a human community. And beyond this passage from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the entirety of our Bible contains abundant exhortation to care for one another, and particularly to care for those who are most vulnerable in our society. In our section on the nurturing community, here is a statement where I believe we get it right. The community provides the potential for nurturing human beings into the fullness of their humanity. Primary for us is the gospel understanding that all persons are important because they are human beings 
created by God and loved through and by Jesus Christ, and not because they have merited significance. This is the way we as the church draw on the tradition of our scripture to speak to how we should relate to one another today. The places where I do think the United Methodist Church appropriately gets a little more specific on some specific issues are those places where we are in dialogue with the wider church. There are certain Christian voices conveying certain messages on behalf of Christendom, it seems, or they would say, where those voices are out there, it's important for United Methodists to make our particular voice clear. Here are a couple of examples of that. One example is divorce. I imagine you have all heard the voices of some churches which make a stark judgment condemning divorce. In contrast to that, here's what our United Methodist Church says. Divorce is a regrettable alternative in the midst of brokenness. We grieve over the consequences for all involved. Speaking about human brokenness has deep roots in our theological tradition. I believe this is a way to speak to a specific issue in a way that makes our voice clear among the various voices of the wider Christian community. On the other hand, I'm glad that our social principles don't get so specific as to say when divorce is or is not acceptable, because that would overstep the bounds of the kind of statements that the church is called to make. Another example of appropriately speaking about a specific issue is where the church speaks about the roles of women and men. I think we are all familiar with Christian voices that prescribe a limited and rigid roles for women and men, churches whose doctrines reinforce power and authority differences between the genders. In our social principles, we say, we affirm with scripture the common humanity of male and female, both having equal worth in the eyes of God. We reject the erroneous notion that one gender is superior to another, We call upon women and men alike to share power and control, to learn to give freely and to receive freely, to be complete and to respect the wholeness of others. We understand our gender diversity to be a gift from God, intended to add to the rich variety of human experience and perspective. The church also speaks about human sexuality, And again, where there are so many Christian voices suggesting that sexuality at all is something to be ashamed of or embarrassed about or to feel guilty about, I think it's important that we make a statement. Here's part of what the United Methodist Church says. Sexuality is God's good gift to all persons. A good gift, not something to be ashamed of. It goes on, we call everyone to responsible stewardship of this sacred gift. Stewardship, the way we use all of the gifts that have been entrusted to us, is a language and idea with deep roots in our theological tradition and very appropriately applied to sexuality. Perhaps the social principles should have stopped there. I've said that I think the church gets it right when we speak theologically about social issues. 
I think we get it wrong when we get into the specifics of legislation or policy or technology, among other things. Many of you already know that in this area of human sexuality, the United Methodist Church gets it wrong in some of what they say about homosexuality, although they do have some good affirmative statements as well. But beyond that, I think the church gets it wrong when they speak about sexuality in the context of marriage. The United Methodist Church in our social principles says this, although all persons are sexual beings, whether or not they are married, sexual relations are affirmed only within the covenant of monogamous heterosexual marriage. And again, even leaving aside the anti-gay bias, I think this is a place where the church oversteps its role. Theologically affirming sexuality as a gift from God and calling us to be good stewards of this gift is a helpful way for the church to speak. But marriage? We may be attached to the emotional significance marriage has for many of us. But the reality is that marriage is a state-defined civil contract. The laws governing marriage change from state to state, certainly from country to country. If the church says that the ethical expression of sexuality happens only in the context of marriage, the church is in effect abdicating our ability to define sexual ethics to the state. To say that marriage is the defining factor for ethical sexual activity is to say that our Christian sexual ethics can change when we cross the straight state line. That's ridiculous. The church does well when it speaks theologically. When the church begins to stray into areas of legislation, we tend not to do so well. Continuing to look at specific issues where a United Methodist voice is valuable in the landscape of other Christian voices on social issues, some Christian churches have made abortion a central issue of concern. The United Methodist Church says this about abortion. We recognize tragic conflicts of life with life that may justify abortion, and in such cases, we support the legal option of abortion. Now again, this doesn't say exactly what is right or wrong, when or in which circumstances, but I think that to understand that sometimes life is in conflict with life and that when that happens it is tragic is a fair theological understanding of what's at stake. When we move into the section called the social community, it talks more about the rights and privileges of people in a society. Here again is where I think we get it right. We affirm all persons as equally valuable in the sight of God. We therefore work towards societies in which each person's value is recognized, maintained, and strengthened. And here's a place where our church discusses racism. Racism plagues and cripples our growth in Christ in as much as it is antithetical to the gospel itself. We recognize racism as sin. Those are theological statements. And then there's a place in our social principles where it makes a statement in support of affirmative action. And I happen to strongly support affirmative action. But I see this as another example of where the church ceases to speak theologically 
and begins to try to problem solve in areas that are beyond the church's expertise and authority. The church is made up of diverse people from diverse locations. And I don't believe that the answer to a particular social issue, whether it's racism or health care or gender inequity, is necessarily going to be the same solution for rural people as urban people, for wealthy people as for poor people, for Americans as for Africans. One of the statements the United Methodist Church makes about ministry is that although every person is called into ministry in some, kind, in some way, the ministries of the church and of individual Christians are diverse in locale and emphasis. In a similar way, figuring out how to be Christians who work on the issues of our day, I think will have diverse answers for diverse locales. Our social principles are arrived at when close to a thousand people from all over the world come together. They are produced through a set of compromises between poor people from poor churches, rich people from rich churches, Africans and Americans, men and women, and that doesn't even get into the differences in perspective and theology and politics that are represented by these folks who come together. This makes the social principles at times an uneasy mix of statements. When it comes to social issues in our world, I don't think the church knows the one right answer for every person or every situation. We cannot say that everyone should be an ear or an eye or a foot. But I think that when the church sticks to its theological ground, when we say that we are all members together in the body of Christ, when we say that in this human community, we cannot say to a weaker member, I have no need of you. This is where we are on solid ground. This is where we speak with the authority of the church, knowing who we are called to be and what we are called to do. Now how that plays out is a question I think churches should wrestle with and sometimes answer, and which individual Christians should wrestle with and sometimes answer, in terms of the specifics of it. But I don't believe that the church as a whole can necessarily speak to the right avenue for solving the problems of our society, even when we do have a consistent theology around it, and we don't always. Our church speaks about health care. It quotes Ezekiel, which you heard this morning. You have not healed, you have not cared for the least among you, and as a result, all suffer. Then the United Methodist Church says that like police and fire, quote, we believe it is a governmental responsibility to provide all citizens with health care. I absolutely agree with this, but I don't think that's what the church should say. I think the church needs to say that scripture tells us that the healing of those in need is an imperative for the people of God. And on those grounds, I think we are safe in saying that health care is a human right. But how that plays out in this country or another country, I think that goes beyond the church's authority to speak of what we know. I believe there are fundamental Christian principles. Care for the least of these, as Jesus taught. Care for those who are in prison, those who are poor, who are hungry, who are thirsty. Those are things that are consistent through scripture, repeated and emphasized in scripture. 
but sorting out the implications of those fundamental Christian principles and how they impact how we vote or how we set policy, that, I believe, will vary according to the contexts in which we find ourselves. At our roots, at our most basic level, we in the human body are one, connected and interdependent. We cannot allow ourselves to imagine that the suffering of any one person or group or population will not affect us. It will. If we make decisions to treat callously the well-being of any group of people or any area of human need, we do so at our own peril, and we do so in defiance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we all learn to look at our world through the eyes of Christ, and as members of the body of Christ, as those who know ourselves as bound to one another, to other members in the body. And in this way may we work for God's kingdom. Amen.